from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper. You are live from the path. the path coming to you for the uh, pathway studios here in johnston proper yes that is uh correct yeah yeah that, that's that's our location uh here's what we got going on uh on the show this evening so i read this article and i thought it would it was a grabber and i thought you guys would enjoy it ken ham's ark encounter to build expansion featuring tower of babel what now listen to me oh listen to me here the first guys that tried to build a tower of Babel were thwarted by the Lord Almighty. Yeah. I don't care who you are. I feel like attempting to build another one is a mistake. <laughs> what if he's just building it halfway? Like, well, we get, we, we're building it halfway, and then yeah. this is where the Lord stopped him. Yeah, like you kind of make, uh, what? What's you can't make the whole incense. Yeah. You can only make like seven-eighths of it. Like one of the essential oils people won't sell you all the ingredients to build the whole incense you burn at the temple in fear that the Lord will be angered. That's, yeah. That's, that's how you handle it, Nathaniel? Well, before we get into this, I want, I want to ask a question. Is okay. there a Johnston improper? Hmm. Thoughts? No, no, it's not, no. There's have nothing you, improper about. Have you been, have you been sitting on that bit of comedy for any amount of time? Or? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm here all night. I mean, <laughs> this is the first time. I don't know why, because I've been listening to the show for a while now. It's been many many a moon. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, so I've heard you know here in Johnson proper several times before, as we all have. And it first occurred to me right now. Where where is Johnston not proper? I don't think it's a either or. I think Johnston as a whole town is proper. So why would you uh, have to specify? I, I think I, I think it was a um, it was a cadence problem. I think w- when we originally did the opening for the show, um, pants pants recorded one that ca- that said Des Moines, uh, Des Moines downtown Des Moines or something. And so when he went to re-record when we moved the show to Johnston, I think I didn't like the the the, the number of syllables. I wanted more. Mm-hmm. And mm. so I think we had to have an additional uh, syllable, uh, two syllables in there. Downtown Des Moines, Johnston proper, so that it would uh, it sounded right to me. It sounds impressive too. Yeah. yeah. So there's legit no reason for it. Just no. Ben's personal preference <laughs> yeah. on the cadence of the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, and the I curtain didn't like is pulled oh, back. Yeah. And there it is. <laughs> Again, it's, this is a dog and pony show. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> a metaphor for the whole show. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, if if. What would cause someone to... Okay, let, let me read the article on his Tower of Babel. On the fifth anniversary of the Ark Encounter, which features a 510-foot-long wooden Noah's Ark... Da- has anybody been to this thing? Yeah, I have. How, was it pretty impressive, Dan? It, it was, actually, yeah. I mean, Do they have a bunch of fake animals in there? Yeah, I mean, some of it's kind of dorky. You go in and you think, okay, but there's a lot... It's kind of like going in, if you've been to any of the... Uh, national museums. There's a lot of stuff you can read, and and, yeah. compa- and a lot of that kind of stuff going on in there. So you can say, oh, the the crates may have looked something like this, or this is probably what, how the how did they get rid of all the poo? You know, well, here's an idea. You know, and they show um, things like that, and it's 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 really pretty fascinating. I mean, who knows if it's accurate? Because we only know so much. Yeah, right. But right. Uh, it's it's at least someone's imagination of. But the size is to scale. 
And so you can walk around and they're thinking, yeah, I can see, I can see this. Okay, they can fit a lot of animals now, in d- here. D- yeah. Is there something yeah. about the Tower of Babel that you feel like goes hand in hand with the Ark? Like if you're going to build a biblical artifact or biblical representation of something, you're like, well, we already have the Ark. Maybe we should build the Babel. But we don't have dimensions of that. I mean, like the Ark, at least they were like, hey, here's how big I want this. Or the temple or something. Like, you know, they do yeah. that. We talk about that traveling temple thing. Like that would be kind of neat. But yeah, if it was tabernacle. a permanent Aren't there like, install, uh, it could be pretty awesome. Ziggurats and stuff that people think, well, maybe this is the tower. Babel. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. I, well, so, well, well, wouldn't they just say, hey, that where the rock people look at that from? one. Yeah. Go to this one. <laughs> <laughs> it says next year we will start. Uh, so start the same fun- dude. Fun- yeah. Can't, yeah. They're going to start fundraising for a Tower of Babel attraction that we hope to open in three or four years, where, among other things, we will help people understand what genetics research in the Bible say about the origin of all the people groups around the world. Okay, that's kind of interesting. I can assure you, Colin, it will be a fascinating, eye-opening attraction, he continues. He says the expansion of the theme park's grounds in northern Kentucky will also include an exceptionally well-done scale model of what Jerusalem may have looked like at the time of Christ. That's also cool. Okay, so that seems all right. Yeah. I just, I mean, building the Tower of Bay, it just seems bad. At least yeah. this guy's a Christian, though, so he's not doing it to mock anything or to, he's like, here's a lesson. Yeah. You know. Do they have a water park out there? I don't know. That it seems like it would seem, go with a the theme. That would also seem weird to have a water park. <laughs> like by it looks the like arc. it's going to flood every once yeah. in a while. Because the water because the water's what caused the trouble. Just like the Tower of Babel is what caused the trouble. And we're like, look, there's a water slide right by the park. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, you didn't get to go in, but you get to go weave on yeah. your way down. <laughs> Enjoy this death water. Yeah. Here's I I, I my that Tower of Babel story is 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 one of my favorite uh, accounts in the Bible yeah. because like the people are like, look, we're gonna we invented this brick, right? And we're gonna build this thing all the way to the sky and sit where God sits. And then when God has to speak about it, he goes, Hey man, it looks like they're up to something. We best go down there and see what's up, which means that he cannot see it from heaven, right? <laughs> because it's not that impressive. Yeah. And he has to come down. He tells yeah, satellite. The, he tells the spirit and Jesus, like, I guess we're gonna have to go down there and see what's <laughs> up. See what's happening. I, I think this confirms my long-held belief that they had great power tools back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah they can't the build this kind of stuff without. Noah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that in Ken Ham's version of the Ark? Like a plug-in? There's like an outlet there. Or a solar-powered <laughs> draft wheel. <laughs> you know, he had some pretty rugged tools, and I, at the time I thought to myself, what makes you think they were so rugged? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had a silversmith, what, within three or four generations of Adam? Tubal canes or whatever? That had been within the first thousand years we had a dude tinkering with steel. There's no way they didn't come up with some pretty fancy stuff before the flood. Well, yeah, I think there was that guy named DeWalt that came up with some tools. Yeah. DeWalt, yeah. cousin of Nimrod. He gets no, he gets, he, he gets no, no respect. He said, I like the yellow. Uh, he adds, also for children, we'll create a themed carousel for them to ride. Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine the entries on this thing. Like, if it's not the, it's got to be the animals from the Ark, right? And not like... Uh, you, the Goli- Goliath or people something. groups. <laughs> <laughs> who, are the, who are those half men, half angels? <laughs> the Nephilim, oh, or yeah, the Nephilim. Nephilim yeah. Yeah, 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 the Nephilim carousel. That'll seem weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, it's like unicorns and dinosaurs and stuff that didn't make it onto the ark. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, like the lost creatures carousel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, I didn't fun. think about that. Do we think mythical creatures, the, the Lord said, no, no, man, you were a mistake. <laughs> yeah. You stay out of here. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh, the $100 million ARC encounter is seeking record, seeing record crowds. The attendance is returning to pre-pandemic levels with up to 7,000 visitors on Saturdays. Wow. It says, our research shows that over 92% of those who visit our attractions are coming from outside Kentucky. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess 
You would hope so. They bring in buses. <laughs> like all, all, like, I can't imagine the dude down the street's been more than twice. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> is it expensive to get in there, Dan? Yeah, I would say it's really, I don't know, it was like 70, 80 bucks a piece really? or something oh. like that. And I thought that was outlandish until I got in there and I thought there are employees. Uh, like, I used to take Adventureland, had a bunch of people running around. I was like, there are employees every 12 feet, like, picking up dirt. And it's like, it is clean right. because they're everywhere. There's all these little guys in their little Burger King outfits running around sweeping and keeping things clean. And They're in Burger King outfits? Well, I don't know what they were, but... Uh, <laughs> Bur- Burger King-like outfits. It uh, made me hungry for the Burger King. I wish yeah, right, the that they were in the, uh, in the like togas and stuff. Not togas, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like uh, uh, like something Moses garb. would be wearing. Uh, a tunic. <laughs> uh, previous, the Ark Encounter said on his website that it would use Babel to explain the origin of the different languages and people groups. We will have an excellent teaching tool in the form of a very detailed Babel diorama. Doesn't that sound real rudimentary? A diorama? Yeah. Like, like a shoebox. Like shoe yeah. Huh? All of these figures and designs were meticulously designed, 3D printed, and hand painted in order to present a realistic view of what it might have looked like as these people went about ignoring God's command and building a tower that reached into the heavens. Wait, how are they ignoring. He didn't have a command, don't build to the heavens, right? He just looked at them and said, stop it. Yeah. Yeah, this is not going to do well for you. Yeah. Did he say disperse though? And then they said, "No, we're they, gonna they we're get, gonna get together in a city." Yeah, Maybe I guess so. we're gonna hang out. It's been a while. So yeah. That okay. The impact of the rebellion can be seen all around us today. We can use this historical event to teach the truth about humanity that we are all related and are descended from Noah, as described in Genesis. It added. Hmm. In June 2019, Answers in Genesis announced that they would add new facilities, partly in response to a growth in annual attendance at the time. This included the creation of a 2,500-seat auditorium with a 70-foot-long LED screen, expanding the size of the Ararat Ridge Zoo, and opening a larger family play space. <laughs> they have a zoo in there where they keep the animals pinned up? I, this all this seems weird to me. <laughs> like, really antithetical. Uh, okay, listen, some of these comments are good. This guy says, uh, I don't know. Uh, unlike Noah's Ark, the first Tower of Babel didn't work out too well for those who built it. True. <laughs> okay, that's what I was thinking. Uh, let's see. There are certain things in the Bible that we just have to accept as being true and wait till we are in heaven and look back to see what these things look like. That's why we are people of faith. Okay, that seems real weird. I mean, like, how, how, how do you imagine this? Uh, is it round? Is it square? What kind of building? Is it like a big pyramid? I always yeah. think it like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I, I guess me too. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there was a felt thing back in the day or something like big round thing. I think I think Nathaniel's right. I think the assumption is it was like a ziggurat, which is like um, like if you start at the bottom with a big base, then you're moving in and kind of. I want to say because there's circles, but it's not. They're squares, but they're getting smaller and smaller and like building up. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, I mean, wouldn't you get it like 80 feet up and go, man? We had to make the bottom bigger. bigger then I got to start all over again and make the bottom bigger again, so you don't run out of, out of out of bricks by the time you get to the top. Out of room to have a level. Huh. I don't know. I feel like so we we so much a field trip to go look at this thing. Uh, this so this guy says I live in Kentucky and one day decided to take the kids and grandkids to see the ark. I made it as far as seeing the prices. Needless <laughs> to say, it's way out of my price range. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we need to plan a Life in the Path bus tour to the Ark. Yeah. We, the last time we were going to do a bus tour, we were going to go beat up that guy pa- that was right. selling his face on with the his face yeah. on. Or we could do both. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be a two-for-one for sure. And then we can stop at the Chinese buffet like we did before. <laughs> but I got hoo-hots everywhere. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> we heard from you from yeah, the network. You're part of the Black Tie Hoo-Ha Club. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's just, I love all the things you would build. That's just. Uh, I know. I get it. No, I get. It. Never mind. I'm going. I'm going to backtrack already. It's well, like because it is talking about 
race and and it's a pretty pretty contemporary issue. And origins of humanity and yeah, and like, yeah, that, it, it it does make sense after they said this is what we're going to do with it. But on the offset, when you say we're going to build the Tower of Babel, you're like, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know about this. Plus, you're, isn't Ken Ham's uh, website like Answers in Genesis or yeah, something like yeah, that? Yeah. So like, there's only a certain amount of things in Genesis you can build. Yeah, right. so if you if you, if it wasn't the ta- yeah, it was, it wasn't the Tower of Babel, what other things could you build from Genesis? You could build the uh the mountain where they were going to sacrifice uh, Isaac. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, like you could do the experience like you lay on the thing, a cart and it takes you yeah. up like a roller coaster, <laughs> crazy old man. Come come back. Hey, then so, a ram jumps in and you go down. <laughs> I've, been, I've been reading Genesis. I've been Your reading Genesis broke. here lately. And like it never it like when 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 Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, right? Uh-huh. Abraham, yeah, yeah. Isaac had Isaac. They were like over a hundred already. Yeah, and Abraham lived to be like one seventy-five. And after Sarah died, after he was post a hundred, he married another woman and had like seven more kids. I mean, this is a this is a virile Abraham. He's like a hundo something. Yeah, marries a new lady and then pops out seven more children. I feel like we, people aren't expected to be that. Uh, no, we tell people to stop. Yeah, we, we put him out to pasture. Yeah, Abe, we, Abe is back on it. Well, he don't, they're he, still in the be fruitful and multiply yeah. phase, though. I suppose. I mean, once. I, in fact, when did they cut people down to one twenty, or around one twenty? This will be the number from, of their days. From the ark, the yeah. Says. That was an ark thing. Yeah. Uh, no. So Abraham was. I after thought that the that was. Uh, I've heard there's contention about that. That that's not actually about. There's contention about everything. Yeah, I mean. I bet that's not a literal number. Maybe. Like I thought it was. Uh, they were. Uh, it was. I've heard an interpretation where God saying, "Hey, you get 120 years before the flood happens." Oh, not, that it's related uh, to the event, not right. like max years. Not max years of humans having life. Well, which would make sense because, like, to your point, Mike, if Abraham was like 175, like, hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing with some of that stuff in 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 Genesis is that like people have believed what was in these books. Uh, and these stories from Yahweh for literally thousands of years, and they weren't dumb. They're not dumb people. And so if we look at it today and we go, now, wait a minute, God said limit 120, but he was 170. Something's really amiss. Like, we, I, we should accept the thought that maybe we're not reading it right, to Nathaniel's point. Hmm. Uh, like, is it possible that it was actually intended to communicate something else? Because, like, glaring problems in Scripture would have been vetted out, so, like, a long time ago. So do you think that means that, like... Let's let's say that the 120 isn't what, what how it's interpreted that that the humans can live longer than 120, which they have been. There's been you know some cases here and there, but like, could we all reach 175? And our diet and exercise regimen is just so poor that no one's making. Better be funny based on the way that you laughed at it. <laughs> I don't what know if it's it, true. Can, what was it called? Canopy okay. theory. Oh, of, of the of the like the waters. Yeah, oh, yeah, waters yeah. So like the idea is that like before the flood, there's this canopy of water that surrounded the earth, uh-huh. and that's where the flood came from. Is right because right. it hadn't rained before, and because of that it created an ideal environment for like you know you get Methuselah and all these uh, people living for seven hundred nine hundred years old. It gives this uh, ideal yeah, environment for people to live a long, long yeah. time. Because, like, the UV rays couldn't get through? I guess. Or? I don't know. But also, like, they, they think there's some sort of, you know, side effects. But also, you know, uh, people just like uh, like Moses lived a long time. Abraham, you know, people that the Lord selects, you know, they just get to live. 
a, a long, healthy life. Yeah, and and they they weren't making trans fats back then. Yeah, no, no trans fats. They were eating goats, straight Mediterranean diets, yeah. and bun buns. Mm. I don't know what that is. Is that a bunny? Yeah, that wasn't biblical. I don't know. <laughs> Bunnies aren't in the Bible. I, 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 They're I, not. I don't think they existed. They don't. They don't part the hoof. They don't part the hoof. <laughs> that changes the Easter story completely. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, all right. So wait, anything? I'm trying to think of anything else that would be worth uh, worth building. I mean, has anybody ever attempted to, to, to provide, like, a Garden of Eden type of setting? Now, there's, it's not really well described, except for it's plentiful, and now there's there's a, some kind of half-naked baby garden swinging swords. Yeah, like a flaming sword dude and a decent-looking tree. That's probably the best you can do. Uh, mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. What, what, like, let me ask you this. Is there any part uh, that, that you would think, hey, I'd like to see that? that would, even if it's, like, a landmark or something. Uh, I would like a historical view of the the temple ground. Uh, the original. The original from like, wasn't that where uh, Abraham, wait, no, I'm mixing stories. You're thinking about Moriah. Like, like the multiple things happened like on the ground, or, or di- the, the threshing, what am I thinking of? Uh, was it Jephthah? I, I don't know. There's multiple stories that happened like at the actual ground where the temple ultimately yeah. came. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool to see the, all the little scenes that happened, and then it became a temple, and then you know, just oh, a, like a time like, lapse of yeah. that ground over like a thousands of years, and yeah. then like key things that showed up. Because wasn't it several things? It seems yeah. like it, through my studies, through, oh. I'm like, hey, that's where the temple. Yeah, was, yeah, you yeah. Know? You know, what would be cool is if like you did have a time lapse of like just a spot like a, in the desert or whatever, and you got to watch it. And no, no event actually happened there, but like, there goes Abraham, you know, and like he time lapses Get by him. and then Jacob comes by like 200 years later, there's Jacob. <laughs> you know? And you're just going to see him rolling by. I'd like to see that. Uh, it would be cool to do an interactive uh, Jacob wrestling with God deal with the, with the angel. Right, wait, so like, wait, like an interactive, yeah, like, like you get in there and VR against the needle. <laughs> George <laughs> the Animal Steel is in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Or the or the or the Jacob's ladder. Yeah. That would be cool. The, the, if, the well. Yeah. That, that, you know, eventually ends up in Samaria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah. They could have a game like Whack-A-Mole where, <laughs> where, where you're looking at Abraham's wells and like half of them don't have no water in them or they're contested by Abimelech. <laughs> and so Abimelech pops up like, no well for you. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that'd be kind of fun if it was like an old school video game and all of a sudden like this, this green screen, Abimelech shows up and he's like, uh, no, this is my well. Yeah, this is my well. Move on from here. You're too powerful. Yeah, yeah. I'll put all, but you can bury your wife in my cave for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> or you could just dig wells. You know, like with a <laughs> shovel. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You just start you, digging a hole. You could totally convince a bunch of kids that like this is a sweet game called dig the well, and like you fly them out to Africa and put them in a bunch of villages where they need wells and be like, you win. <laughs> Mm. I feel like that's playing uh, like the who can be quiet the longest game. Yeah. yeah, or like count the stars, count God's blessings, kids. Go ahead, count the stars <laughs> in the sky. Sucker! I just want, I just want a lollipop. <laughs> okay, yeah. hey, maybe if if you're someone who says, hey, you know, uh, you don't have to keep it to Genesis, but maybe let's go with Old Testament. Like, uh, what would you like to see? What about Jericho? Like with the walls? Maybe you could storm it. Like they they take a group of people through and you all you get the vuvuzela and the drums and then all of a sudden this big wall like blows down. up or something. Okay, that'd be fun. Actually, that sounds like an expensive project. How we'll do it? With Ken Ham would have to raise a lot of money <laughs> to build a wall every day. Build the wall again. <laughs> they could just have it go down real cheesy, like into the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
just, I mean, it seems like it wouldn't have the same effect. You blow the horn, and then you hear. It worked. Those hydraulics? I never pictured it that way. Yep. Boy, Mike, you're like two feet away from being a guy at Disney. You can be an Imagineer. People will be mystified. They blow the horn, and three and a half minutes later, it's gone. We'll send up a bunch of smoke. This place cleans up nice. To hide the electronic wall that leaves. I'm sure. we'll do it with lasers. All right. I probably shouldn't help with this. Maybe Tower of Babel is the best way to go. All right. Anyway, let us know on the complaint lines, 515-517-0085. Let us know what would you like to be able to see. If you could pick any scene or landmark or something from the Old Testament, what would you want to take a look at? All right. I'll be thinking about this the rest of the show. So... So Nathaniel and I were talking on the way here. We uh, we both were at the Menards, uh, the home improvement store on uh, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I was there to buy and the, the lumber. Nathaniel was there to pick up stuff from us that we brought for his family. And so both of us had an encounter with a gentleman who was walking around the Menards parking lot, claiming to have blown out a tire on the road and trying to solicit cash. To help him out with this tire. Now he followed me up, and uh, I, I put a big show on it, and I said, "Oh man, that sounds rough. I'd like to help you. Let me check and see if I have any cash. I don't generally carry cash. If I had some in there, I actually was going to give it to him. I didn't have any cash in there, and so I said, "Sorry, man, I just don't have anything." Uh, and then I kept on walking, and he hits up Nathaniel. Nathaniel, uh, when you run into him at that time, what did you say to him? Uh, I said, "I don't have any cash. Sorry." Yeah, but. I didn't put on a show about it because I know I didn't have any cash. Yeah. <laughs> so what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's a, that's a I'm already walking. Sorry. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the car that I got a problem with, sir. Silver and gold I don't have. Yeah. And so uh, he, I, I saw him when I came back out of the Menards. He was still trolling the parking lot looking for help. And I said, this, 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 this guy, he's really after it. And uh, I take my family to the Walmart, which is just down the road there. And I went into the store and came back out and I saw him again. He's hunting around the Walmart parking lot. Hmm. Trying to shuffle up some money. So I ran into him twice, uh, did not part ways with any cash. Nathaniel, on the other hand, saw him a second time. And what happened the second time? Uh, the second time, I, I suppose he did not recognize me, uh, even though I was wearing the same shirt and same hat and had the same vehicle <laughs> as the first time. But he uh, gave the same solicitation. And um, I was like, well, you know, I don't have anything else going on today at all. I was thinking through my day, and I said, I don't have anything. So I could probably take this guy to go get a tire. Yeah. So I said, listen, pal, let's go get a tire. He said, well, I already have somebody, you know, uh, somebody said they'd give me a ride over there. Uh, to, like, the wrench and go. Like wrench and go, yeah. He's like, well, the, yeah, the, the this other place doesn't have used tires. I was going to get it, uh, but they don't have any. So I was just going to go to the wrench and go. I was like, okay, let's go to the wrench and go then. I can follow you over there. And he said, well, uh, the, can you, uh, I don't want to, you know, give you a hassle or whatever. Can you just call him and give your card number and, and then I can go down there and get a tire. And, uh, I'll be honest with you. I felt a little uncomfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> I don't know why. And so, uh, I was like, well, uh, I don't know. You know, it's kind of a pull apart place. I'm not sure what their policy is on, on just handing your card number over the, over the phone. I don't know if they do that sort of thing. And so then he, sw- he switched it up on me. He changed it. He changed the game. He said, well, I'm also, I'm in the, uh, 
I'm in the Motel 6 right now because of this whole ordeal, me and my kids. Uh, I know that you can call them over the phone. Could you call and, and hook me up with a room for tonight? And so then I had to think about it real tough, tough, hard like, because I wanted to help this fellow out. Uh, it sounded like he was in a rough spot. So wait, so far, Dan, Mike, what do you think? Odds of a scam, one to ten, pretty high. Eleven. Yeah. Okay. Dan says eleven. <laughs> Mike, certain, certain I already scam. have a room, but can you call and get me a room? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. So I figured, you know, uh, here's what I'll do. I thought it out in my brain. I came up with a genius scheme. I said, a, I, a counter scheme. <laughs> counter scheme. <laughs> Do you know your warranty's about to expire? <laughs> You're going to be impressed. Nathaniel's going to scheme the schemer. Okay. So what I, what I said, here's what I'll do for you, my friend. Uh, it looks like you're going to be here for a minute. Uh, and he said, yeah. And I said, I will go to the Walmart, which is right across the street, and I will get you a, a prepaid Visa gift card. And with that prepaid Visa gift card, you can buy yourself a tire or you can go buy yourself a, a room at the at the Motel 6. Zing! Nathaniel With, got him. Yeah. Whatever you choose. Yeah. I figured, you know, this uh, Visa gift card will not be worth much on the streets. Yeah. He may be able to get half price for it. Sure. Uh, at the very least, he, uh, you know, if he's into booze and that sort of thing, he could probably uh, procure that. Sure. Which is not a great deal, but, you know, at least it's not the cocaine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we like to do levels of yeah depravity. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I was just trying to rationalize it. Smelled like the cocaine. Okay, <laughs> so so Nathaniel's uh, hit up with this guy. I, he hit me twice. I, I I pushed him off. Nathaniel escaped him once. Time number two, he's in. He's got him in for seventy five bucks. And and Dan, Mike, you say high chance of a scheme. All right, Nathaniel, what happens the next day? Uh, today I was getting an alignment at the Big O Tire. Which is very close to both the Bernards and the yep. Walmart. Yeah, and I was sitting down there uh, fiddling around my phone, playing the uh, the the Bible memory verse game. Ang- Angry Birds. Angry Birds. No, <laughs> I was. Uh, I downloaded this app. It's the Bible memory verse, and it lets you type it out. I've been trying it. It's it's actually pretty good. And uh, then this guy who I met the day previous waltz in, and is is uh, trying to get a tire there at the Big O with uh, with money. That he, I assume, procured yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, scam? Not a scam. So he's actually legit looking he for legit. a tire. What happened to the go the wrench and go the cheap uh, used tire? I, I think he might have brought one with him. I'm not sure. Well, I now he's buying top shelf tires from the Big O. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. All I know is I didn't really look into him. I just uh, I happened to glance up and I said, "That's the guy from yesterday." <laughs> and then I said, "Well, good on." And I went back to whatever I was doing. Here's the deal: if you're going to panhandle of uh, uh, the, the wanting a tire, and you show up at the Big O next day and are actually getting a tire or at least tire services. Yeah, uh, you can color me surprised. Yeah. I thought he was just going to take the Visa gift card and bail. He must have gone with the hotel room for the night. Must have. So, so here's what I thought when Nathaniel told that story: is I thought I got, uh, uh, I did not help a guy because I was worried that he was a scammer. And the thing is, is that like you run the risk. And I feel like we talked about this before, but you run the risk of not helping legitimately because you're afraid of being defrauded by illegitimate people. And I'm not sure that you can actually sort that out all the time. And so, like, uh, maybe it's just, maybe what it made me think was, is that, like, I, I, like we were tied up yesterday. My whole family was with me. And so it would have been a little bit difficult. But, like, I mean, I could have followed the guy. 
if he says, look, my car's just over here and I broke down, like, I mean, it's, it's probably validatable within a few, two to three minutes to drive over and check and see, does he got a bum tire? You know, that kind of thing. And so I, I guess if, if we always don't help because we are concerned that we're being ripped off, there, that means there's tons of people who actually need help who won't get it because of that concern. I, th- I think that's fair. Actually, I, I like Nathaniel's approach here because, like, the problem is, is, like, you like to play arbiter in a, in a case-by-case basis. And 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10, you go over and a guy says, I need a new tire. You're like, okay, I'll get you the tire. And you get him a tire, and, 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 and let's say he gets to the car, and then he's like, oh, I forgot it's completely out of gas. Huh. Well, I get the tire, but I need gas. You're like, well, I guess we'll get the gas, too. And then we got to buy the can because you didn't bring your gas can with you. So now you're in for a can and the gas and the tire. And then he gets there. He's like, man, I just wish we had a spare couple of bucks. My kids haven't eaten. You're like, holy cow, this is a never-ending string of whatever. I'm screwed. And so, like, it makes way more way more sense to show up with uh, X amount of dollars and go, here, man, make the best decision for what you got going on. Like, I, you're not going to be able to fix all of his woes in one single swoop, uh, right? But, like... You can say here. This will give you some options. <laughs> Pick and choose what you want to do. That was it. Was, it was pretty. That's it's not a bad thought. Yeah, I just like it made me think that. Um, I, I think you should show the right amount of caution uh, and do your best. But like, I would I would hate to. I felt I felt like, hey man, I wasn't generous uh, because I was afraid of being taken advantage of. And like this guy, <clears throat> this guy was like hustling the parking lot. You know, he's walking up to straight. He must have, I bet he asked 50 people, you know, and trying to get someone to help him and his family because his car was broken down. If you knew that was legitimate, like you had every confidence it was, it was legitimate, I can't imagine I wouldn't have helped. Hey, man, guys in a city that's not his, he's, he's, they're driving through town. He's got his kids with him. They got nowhere to stay. They don't know anybody around here, and his tire's broken on a Sunday afternoon. Like, slam dunk, I'm probably in. But because, but because I was afraid that the guy was a, was a grifter, uh, it's because he's going about it superficially. I don't. Here's the deal. How could you do it? How could you do it if you didn't know anybody? If you don't have enough money to buy the tire, then you have money to get to put gas in your car to get to wherever you were going in the first place, right? If you if like if you're stranded and not in your hometown and you're on your way to somewhere else, let's say you get the tire, that means you didn't have enough money to even put gas in the car to get to where you were going. I don't know, Mike. You I think you've lived with more money in your pocket for longer than you think. Like if you get, if you're in for a hundred bucks for a new tire, like. That's that's not uh, gas to go down and see your grandparents four hours away. Yeah, probably. Expecting do. they might give you some on the way back to get you home. Like I, it's like some people can live that tight. No, that's true. Anyway, Nathaniel ashamed me, and Dan. Dan still wouldn't give me the money. Yeah, I'm still I'm still leery. <laughs> Dan's not gonna do it. He thinks he was the big old tile just in case any of the fifty people. <laughs> We're looking the day after. I think they're partners. See, now I was recently in cahoots with the big O. <laughs> so I thought, I thought to myself, you know, I've been thinking about this recently, where there, I, I see people, and I think to myself, I would like to help this fella, but I'm not sure if he will, uh, he'll, he'll be honest with the the funds that I give him. Yeah. Plus, I don't carry cash, and at that moment, what the first time I t- saw him, I was like, hey, I don't have any cash, and also, I don't know the the pin number to my debit card. 
I can't remember it. Right. I never use it. I always hit credit. Like, I'm like a dummy. <laughs> I've, been living, I've been living on the edge for years. No one's caught on yet. Exactly. <laughs> it's like magic. Uh, so that's how I came up with this this great idea for the for the visa. I said, well, I mean, visas got me out because there's a four ninety nine uh, surcharge yeah. to buy these cards. Yeah. I was like, well, whatever. Visa gets a little bit off the top. Uh, but I thought to myself, I could buy you know some some Taco Bell gift cards or something. Like you can't do anything other than buy Taco Bell with a Taco Bell gift card. Yeah, yeah, true. And a Taco Bell gift card, you know, they've got the five dollar big box deal. Yeah, you can stretch it. Yeah, <laughs> the guy's got worldly woes. He might as well have a stomach ache and diarrhea to go with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I suppose it goes back to the principle that we always talk about. The like, obviously, people can't scam you out of money that you were just willing to get rid of anyway. That's exactly yeah. what I was saying because we were talking about that a few weeks ago at church, and I thought that that's what was going through my head when I was. Uh, when I was walking to the Walmart, uh, yeah. I was like, "Well, I mean, if this is gonna happen, well, it's it's gonna be okay." Right. And then Your I prayed on it that night, and I was like, "I hope." God, that you, uh, he chooses to do some good things with that. Yeah, right. His behavior doesn't get to dictate yours. You're generous uh, regardless if they're going to make. I mean, here's the thing. It's not like your lack of generosity is going to stop them from drinking if that's what they're going to do with it. Right? Like, if you don't give them the money, they're going to figure this thing out. They, you know, they're, and so, like, and, and maybe your generosity changes something. Maybe it doesn't. But, like, their behavior doesn't get to control your behavior. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's solid. I don't know. Did I tell you guys that, that that I took that guy out to go fix his tire? Did I tell you that like a month or so ago? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy on your in porch? Ditch? Yeah, the guy that was in my porch and, yeah. and like at like 3 in the morning or whatever. And so I'll probably hear about him next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's the same principle, right? Of course, when I'm driving the guy out to go fix his tire, he starts talking about some real seedy stuff like I'm a, I'm a distributor. I'm like, a distributor of what? I'm just, I run a distributing business out of my house. I'm like, what? distributing business this don't sound legit and it's four in the morning and you're on my porch and this whole this whole this whole thing is shifty as all get out you know and i thought but i mean if the lord can have me die in this truck because i went and took a, a weird what i assumed to be drug dealer out to, to get his car out of the ditch i mean what am i gonna do you know like i did it and it was fine and actually i was uh, i mean I, I caught a lot of flack for it but otherwise it was uh it, it was well-meaning you know <laughs> But did you read that 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 bivocational pastor thing, Dan Sand? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, you want to? Do you have the? Do you have it up? Yeah, it's it's long though. Okay, here we go. It's a, this article. It is what is a bivocational pastor? Plus ten tips if you are one. Oh, what is a bivocational pastor? Oh no, it's gonna it's gonna define it for us in the first line. The bivocational pastor is one of the most unique, gifted, and selfless individuals in the Capital C Church. That's because they serve churches that can't compensate them with full-time pay, or they choose to stay in another job to save the church money. I'm not sure that's actually true. Uh, I don't. So I'm, by, I suppose, bivocational. Although I actually don't take any money for the the church part, so I think I still only have one vocation. Uh, but like, uh, I, I, it's neither of those. You you don't think it's uh, they serve churches that can't compensate them, right? No, your church probably could. I think yeah, they could, yeah. Or and or you stay in that job to save money for the church. No, it's yeah, it's not a monetary thing. I actually, and I think that the article will get to some of this. Um, but I think their 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 benefits beyond monetary. Okay, some sometimes churches offer a small salary, so the pastor either lives on a meager budget or juggles a second job. Often, however, there's no salary at all. Many pastors work full time to support themselves and their families while carrying all the responsibilities of a staff pastor. And the numbers of churches with bivocational pastors are increasing. 
In his article, The Hidden Truth Behind Bivocational Ministry, Matt Hensley affirms that bivocational ministry is growing. We're going to call it the BM from here on out. That's not bad. That's that's (laughs) not good right there. He says, it's far more common than most really understand. In fact, a recent LifeWay research study found that 26% of pastors said they were BM. Stop that. (laughs) (laughs) That needs to stop. (laughs) But even though more and more men and women consider themselves BM, it's, it's not a new concept. Here we go. BMs were common back in the 1950s when churches began to Everybody encourage. Everybody was having it. <laughs> when churches began to encourage and support paid pastors, and many denominations began to prioritize seminary education. But before that shift, Dennis Bicker says many ministers served churches as the people moved west, supporting themselves as farmers, store owners, school teachers, and many other occupations. So, uh, is that true in the in the flow of? Um, like pastoral care, uh, is it is it a new thing that it's a full time job? Like we look back in the Old Testament or whatever, and we look like the the keepers of the temple and the Levites or whatever, and we go, that's a full time gig. Um, but like New Testament on, I mean, like the Catholic Church, they've always had full time sure people. Um, probably more the ticking talking the small congregational. Protestant, which was most, which was most churches, right? Yeah, yeah. Until uh, you know, hundred years or so. Last they have three years. or four churches. You know, the circuit preacher. You know, they take a little yeah. offering and yeah, right. And each town like had a church. The part wasn't was it. like enough to live on. I doubt. Right, right, right. And and yes, Mike. Like there weren't ten churches. There ain't ten Christian churches in a city. Like the church was the church in that city. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So it says. However, the birth of BMs goes back even further to the Apostle Paul, who supported himself financially by making tents. Scripture tells us that when he was in Corinth, blah, 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 tents. In his book, The Tent-Making Pastor, oh, go boy, Bickers writes that Paul continued to make tents as he traveled from city to city, so he would not be a financial burden on those he ministered to. Why? Hey, that's funny, because that story's from the Bible. Why would we need to attribute it to Bickers? <laughs> Why yeah. would we say, the Corinthians uh, book says this? <laughs> yeah, that's Here's true. another guy telling a Bible story. <laughs> like Paul said of his own life. <laughs> Uh, uh, and he also gives Sylvanus and Timothy as both uh, uh, examples of bivocational pastors in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So, here we go. Is there a benefit for churches to have a bivocational pastor? Small churches that can't afford a full-time pastor tend to experience instability. Leadership can come and go like the wind. But when blessed with a bivocational pastor, they can increase their ministry to their people and the community without depleting their often limited budgets. Uh, so is this... I, I suppose we've got to read the rest of the article here, but, like, do they believe that the main reason that's good to have a bivocational pastor is, is money? It all has to circle around funds. I think that's a lot of it. Yes. I think that's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Wait, here, why don't you read all the, read, just read all of them, like the titles of the... Okay, here we go. Thanks. Yeah. Here's the titles. Yeah. Well, they're all questions, and then he answers them. Okay. Oh, no. No, here we go. No, yeah, they are. Oh, t- here's the ten tips. Yeah, ten tips, yeah. Okay. Ten tips for bivocational pastors and ministers. Establishing some ground rules and holding to them tightly can make it a joy to work as a bivocational, a BM, for the long haul. If okay, you are manage a, your time. If you are a BM, here are ten tips for surviving, thriving. Okay. One, be sure of your calling. The need will always be there, and yes, anyone with a heartbeat can answer it. However, feeling the need is different from answering the call. Be sure of what you sense God is asking you before committing to the church. If you've been a bivocational pastor for some time, pray and evaluate your decision periodically to ensure that is still where God is positioning you. I had a guy, did I tell you this before, that like, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more squidgy on this one, um, on, on God calling 
uh, God calling pastors, like I'm not sure it requires a a holy moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember saying that and talking with it, if it was on another interview that somebody from another podcast was doing, and like I mean, I feel like his respect for me dropped by about half oh, by wow. saying that because I because I think he had uh, had a very high view of pastors. Now he was a pastor, and so whatever this calling business is, it related to him. Um, in such a way, and so if there was someone, but basically the impression kind of was that I'm an imposter. <laughs> like, oh. like if I didn't have like a God, uh, like like a Blues Brothers in the Church moment on on being a pastor. Like what, what the explanation I gave to him um, was that like I think I knew that I, uh, I think I always thought I was supposed to be a missionary or something since I was little, and I said God continued to put people in my life that encouraged me down a path that I would never have got to on my own. Dan included. And Dan, in fact, Dan especially. Um, and so I, 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 don't, I, I don't know why I would look at, uh, look at that as like God has put community around me to get me on the path that he, he would want me to be on as, as less holy as a whatever, what do they mean by calling? I just it was. I would call that a calling, though. You just didn't know it. I mean, it was like you weren't hearing it. Or, yeah. I mean, but it was there. Yeah. And other people saw it. Right. So, like, but that's like a lot of time. These, I think, I get the impression for these guys are like, hey, like I was called into pastoral leadership. Like, yeah. there's something elevated about this notion that I think is maybe just not. It doesn't have to be as, as sexy as all that. And like, yeah. I'm just not. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose it depends on what what people are have in mind, like uh, what they define as a pastor. Like we we expect an awful lot out of like a modern day pastor, right? Like he's just not the teaching guy. He's also the counselor, the business manager, and like all these other things. You know that 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 may or may not be supported biblically. Like maybe the guy's just supposed to be teaching the Bible and leading people to Jesus, and and you know, and like we expect him to run a major corporation of a of a giant church or whatever, even a medium sized church, right? Like making business decisions and also doing uh, preaching and and running all your programs and stuff, and then doing like counseling sessions with people. Like we're asking a lot out of a guy, uh, whether he's tuned that way or not. I've met plenty of pastors that are. And plenty of them that are like, God has them teaching, and they should probably teach and probably not be in the middle of the finances or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And I suppose, what's that? Oh, no, 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 nothing. No, no, I'll wrap it up. Sorry. Okay, no, yeah, so the first one. I want to hear Ben talk more. Go ahead, Be sure of your calling. (laughs) Make sure you, basically, they're premising, like, know what you're getting into, because it's going to be tough. Here we go. Okay. Set, Set priorities. Likely, you've got more to do than hours in the day will allow. Prioritize what's most important and release tasks you simply can't get to. Okay, manage your time. That's true for everybody. Okay? Yeah, right. Number three, strive for balance. Manage your time. (laughs) Number four, give yourself margin. Manage your time. Okay, got it. Number five, don't do everything yourself. Okay, this this one's probably worth landing on. Um, This is one of the reasons I actually think um, bivocational pastoring is helpful if you otherwise can't seem to figure out a way to lead people in this, but like... um, the church has to be the church, and um, when when the pastor becomes a role, um, people do start defaulting what is otherwise Christian behavior to the king Christian, right? <laughs> to the guy who gets the paycheck. And like you're not, it's not why we're paying a guy. Um, we're paying the guy because uh, God has tasked him to take responsibility for this group of people, uh, and to ma- frankly try to make sure his time is freer than others to pick up where the rest of the church may not be able to do it. But like, I don't expect the pastor to be the first guy at the bedside of anybody. To be honest, short shy of his own family, he's you probably have someone unless he's your friend, direct friend, because otherwise, like you should have other close people within the church um, that are doing those types of types of things. 
And so I, I think it's it's probably not like I, I, if if you you can't get people to think of it the right way, if they have to think of it through the lens of bivocation and say, look, man, I'm working too. You can't just default to me. But like, frankly, that'd be a real heavy-handed way to go about it. I think there's a hard issue and a teaching issue and a recognition of your responsibility in the world to try to get people to actually look at that in a healthy way. Number six, schedule study and sermon prep time. Manage your t- manage your time. Yeah, I can't. I, I actually I have a real hard time. Sorry, I'm answering these because I feel like it applies to me. Um, this was a, this was a shift, um, and this was even true. Like finding time to study to teach is hard. Um, I, I do actually the vast majority of my stuff. It feels like I'm cramming. I do it like on Saturday nights. I don't have any other margin in the rest of my week. I always tried to do it earlier, and to be honest, because I'm studying so fast. Uh, I will forget most of the stuff that I intended to teach on, and I don't have time to do a manuscript or anything. And so, like, I would say vast majority of my stuff is, is Saturday. And that was a sacrifice for, like, my wife. Like, to know that most of your Saturday nights, unless we carve out time to do something at some other point, I'm busy Saturday nights studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that is, uh, that's probably the most tangible sacrifice, I would say, that comes with being a for me being a bible vocational pastor is is knowing that saturdays aren't available to me and then frankly that the, the off chance that i ever get sick on a saturday night and i'm hosed there's mm-hmm. there is no rescue <laughs> that's all i got I, I got caught with that once uh, early on uh, i was bivocational yeah. for, for quite a number of years and uh i went out saturday to the beach and, and i fried myself and there no, was, no. Uh, you know and it was saturday night sermon time and i was like i couldn't move i couldn't think i couldn't you know and i had to get somebody to preach for me <laughs> uh, that's embarrassing what uh so dan I, I can't remember what what like when you were bivocational um what what else did, like did, was it the same time you were selling the christmas trinkets or like what else did you do um okay uh, the first i spent six years at a church on the east side uh, I was going to school full time, college full time, but also was working over forty hours a week at a factory library binding service. Oh, okay. So I was like kind of triple time and uh, stuff. But I was young; I was twenty, you know, right. uh, twenty to twenty to twenty six, and um, that felt doable. It was very yeah, and we had no children yet, uh, so it was Cheryl and I walking the streets of the East Side, knocking on doors, saying, "Hey, do you want to do a Bible study?" I mean, right. we did all that stuff. And, um, yeah, yeah, so, but it was, I mean, you had to really watch your time, and often, like you say, uh, Saturday night was like, that's the soonest I could get to, because I was doing homework or doing work or uh, the whole thing. Okay, so so library binding service, and then when you left, when you left the east side... Did you, did you get a full-time gig after that, or did you still... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to uh, Atlantic, and that was full-time. But even then, I, I did, like, little things, like paper outs, and, yeah. you know, so that, that didn't really count that as, like, bivocational. Gotcha. Okay. Do yeah. you feel like there's a tangible benefit to, uh, not not one over the other, right? But, like, yeah. what would you say are, are the tangible benefits that are not money-related to having a bivocational pastor? Yeah. Oh, it, it keeps you grounded. Uh, I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm not bivocational right now, but uh, I started washing dishes for some people in our church that own uh, Steamboat Boys. Uh-huh. And, and uh, I was over there one day, and uh, they were just desperate because they can't find help. You know, it's oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. All the restaurants, some of them were closing because I couldn't find help. And they're like, they were just, I could just see it in their eyes. They were just hurting. And I thought, man, if we were Amish, we'd like build your barn for you if it burned down. But we, you didn't, you know, you have a restaurant. Right. I thought, well, I can just come and eat, which I was doing that day. But I was like, well, that doesn't help you with staff. I was like, here's the deal. I, I will, I will, if it will help you, I'll, I'll wash dishes. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to get the lowest thing, you know, yep. and, and I will do it just long. I don't want to take anybody's job. I'll do it just long until you can find somebody. Right. And so I've only done it a handful of times. 
Um, but I think last uh, Sunday night was probably my last. That was last night. It was probably my last time because they're fully staffed now. Oh, nice. Yeah, good. But uh, all that to say, uh, the great conversations I've, I've had with, with people I would never know. I right. mean, I mean, the gut of a restaurant washing dishes, doing the slime job, and they all know why I'm there is really to help them. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it, it's to give them a break. And like the guy took place, uh, took his place, or no, well, I, I allowed him to rest, was working before I came in yesterday. And, and he just, I mean, he just, I almost was crying. He was just like, thank you, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's led to a lot of Jesus talk to. Yeah. Uh, nice. Is my point. Uh, yeah. Um, that I would never have. I did Target for a year or two. I yeah. can't remember how long. Same thing. I was working nights, and, and I could. Uh, that you probably could call that. You know, it was like thirty to thirty-five hours a week. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but lots of conversations I would never have. Um, and, you know, you kind of get in your little bubble uh, if you're just a little preacher guy in an office and sitting out at the coffee shops, you know, whatever, doing the stuff you do. Uh, so I love it. I actually love it. Yeah. Um, uh, I've considered just kind of doing something different and, and doing Sunday stuff, but also yeah, getting a job uh, just think, for that reason. I was thinking about this this week. Is like, uh, and, and you guys would be able to answer this probably better than me, but I was thinking about like some of the, the Christian bands that tour around or like, you know, the, the, the speakers and, and even full-time pastors. Is like, do you think it is easier... Uh, do you think it is, is easier to maintain your Christian faith when you are surrounded by other Christians all the time or you're not right. Like, uh, yeah, like if yeah. you were, let, let's say that you were, uh, you were a traveling, uh, Christian musician band or worship band or something, right? Like you could legit kind of fall away from the faith and most people w- might not even notice, right? Because you're yeah. still parading around as a worship band. Right? right. Um, but then again, you could go to a regular 40 hour week job where, you know, no one you work at is, is a Christian, and so, like, it's it's no one's holding you up to any standard anyway, you know. Yeah. So, like, do you think it, it it offers the same risks for people that that are both encapsulated by it's your job, you work for the church, you're surrounded probably by Christians most of the time that have the same worldview as you? Do you think that's any different, any harder than you know people who are out, you know, just working at a, at a regular gig, not for the ministry? I think it depends on how you carry yourself at like if you're a regular gig man like yeah. if people know that you're a Jesus guy then when you do things that aren't uh Jesus like they they really like to call you out on it. Right. I know this from experience. A perceived standard of what they think Jesus people should be like. Yeah. Yeah. What what did you do Nathaniel? Well, what happened was <laughs> is uh <laughs> this woman you gave me. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I I mean they the the when I was working at 3M, everybody knew that I went to uh, Bible college, and I actually got a BM degree. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> and uh, they, so one was that day... Your, was that your number two degree or your number one? <laughs> well, it was two. I had two degrees. As yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what all happened. I think... Uh, there was two of the uh, managers who were recently promoted, uh, who used to be just regular uh, wrench turners like I was, and they had gone off to some sort of uh, job fair or something at one of the community colleges, and so it was me and one other fella uh, who liked to sit on his butt there that day. And so I was doing a lot of running around, uh, turning wrenches, and uh, getting stressed out and answering phone. I the managers were gone, so I was answering all the phone calls, and 
they came they came back from this job fair and then he was all chipper and whatever. Hey, how's it going? And I uh, I said some things that uh, might have been some naughty words, yeah. big words. You gave him the salty language. Yeah, but mm. not like like it just came out. <laughs> I didn't like mean to like hit this guy and like he like took a step back and he was like whoa. Yeah, things must be rough. <laughs> and then he was like, "Is that your favorite Jesus talking like?" And I was like, "You know, you're right. It's not." And I I yeah. Uh, I should have taken a step back. <laughs> okay. All but right. that happened on, on uh, that was one occasion. But, I mean, just anything like that. Like, numerous occasions you salty not, not, somebody. Not numerous <laughs> occasions. <laughs> okay. Nathaniel got a flagpole in front of his house with some expletives on it. <laughs> uh, Christian flag underneath. So, Nathaniel answered. Do you have an answer for that? Uh, like, has, have I done that? No, no. Do, do, you, do, you have, do you think that it's easier either way? To either be in full-time... Uh, Ministry and maintain your faith and maintain it well, or outside. No, I actually think. Um, uh, so I have limited experience. I think like I was in full time ministry for what I think like six months or something. It, it wasn't very long. Uh, uh, back to that money conversation. It was a good six months. It, it wasn't there. <laughs> um, but but um, here's here's what I think. I think um, your faith. I, for me, my, my faith. Feels maintain realer, maintained when it's when it feels like it's doing something, um, and it's probably it's not fair to act like the like the work of a full time pastor is often doing like they're often doing something. There's tangible things that they are doing, but like something that feels like it's maintaining a structure together just doesn't feel like that way to me. Like, and so then I feel, then I think I, I would, that would be harder for me to maintain my faith because then it would feel like I'm just doing it as a job. And I don't know, Dan, have you ever had that experience where it felt like being a full-time pastor got feeling like just a job as opposed to like a calling or something that God has you doing, expressing in your life? I can't think of a time. I mean, there's good times and bad times and hard times and wonderful times, but I can't think of a time I've ever looked at it as just what I do. I mean, like yeah. a job. I mean, I look at it as what I do, but not as like, well, I'm going to work. I've never thought of it as I'm going to work. Uh, it's just, I'm living my faith and isn't this cool? I get to do it. I mean, I get to, you, you can, you live your faith anyway, but I mean, yeah, I so, get to spend so much time thinking and focusing and meeting with people and doing things that I wouldn't be able to do uh, if I were doing something else. Um, so I could have guaranteed that that was true for you. Like if someone were to ask me, because like we've remember we've read like like things in the past where like you've got pastors who don't even believe what's in the Bible. Yeah, you've got guys who are frustrated because it's their job and that they get irritated with all kinds of different stuff in the infrastructure. I, if you would ask me whether that's true, I would have told you 100 percent. Dan Hudson doesn't look at things that way. I actually think you probably are more unique than is probably. That's, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because that that's the right that's that's the right way for it to be. Um, like I I would fear being one of the other dudes. That I would s- somehow feel it would feel like a job to me, and so like the 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 mixture of um, of being around where my faith is called into what feels like action in trenches is important, and it's a, that's a that's false because like a full time pastor, it's or like people who are around Christian people all the time, like those are still trenches. Christian people are just people, um, and they bring yeah. people problems with them. There's different tensions. Yes. That's One right. is I'm in the cesspool, and the other is I'm trying to lead people to help people in the cesspool. Yeah, 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 yeah. If that makes sense, you know? Yep. Um, and, and, but they all, yeah, they have different tensions and different 
uh, challenges. Uh, I, I like I like like in the bivocational. I, I like the something about hanging out like in in the kitchen of a restaurant and every third word is the f bomb and the drugs and you know all this all the stuff the people's lifestyle they're talking about uh, you know I, I, as opposed to the ivory little palace that I can be in that that's right that people wouldn't the dare mention the world's that on a Sunday <laughs> you know so there's different strengths of different thing you know it's like the the tree needs uh, to be in the windstorms once in a while to, yep. to be strong otherwise you just got to fall the tree can't be in the windstorm all the time because it won't survive <laughs> right right so uh, I don't know interesting okay uh, last couple. Last couple, three here. One, find a mentor. Seek the wisdom of others who have committed their lives to this special calling and glean from what they've learned along the way. Uh, I, I would say that I think you should do that. I just wouldn't limit it to other people that are bivocational. Uh, the work of the pastor is the work of the pastor. I think you can yeah. learn a lot from people who have, um, uh, who are doing it full time. Uh, because like, what, well, all you're saying is you're trying to do in a shorter, in a, in a more compressed amount of time, what they're doing in... Wait, here's the thing. It's not even a compressed amount of time. Most pastors who are working full-time like that, there's not like they're putting in a 40-hour week and then clocking in or out. Like, people can still call at odd hours. You'll end up talking to people for long periods of time. Somebody wants to get baptized, I mean, you are dropping stuff because you want in on it. Like, uh, and so um, th- there's, their lives are not so different, in fact, at all, that uh, I would say that you only get that from bivocational folks. Um, and as a matter of fact, that like I, I, I'm pretty sure you know, good pastors who are full time, like they understand what you're trying to compress. Um, they have they have a, a, a perspective that I think can be helpful for you. So yeah, I, I think it's right to have a mentor. I just wouldn't limit it to bivocational. I think that's there's no reason to cut a, cut the leg off the stool. Uh, and last word of advice: use Bible software to aid in sermon prep and give you some time back. Try to cut that Bible sermon prep down. Yeah, you know I can't do it anymore. I haven't used I haven't used um, uh, software for a number of years because I get it, there's too much. Like I'll spend uh, it's too much time. I'll follow a word down fifty different paths, and like there's so many resources. Like it gives me a, a false perception that like uh, how do I know if I'm teaching the right thing when there's like forty eight other th- other books that I haven't read that don't have this. And like ignorance is bliss. I find when I, when I'm going to teach a sermon series on uh, I go by by book. Um, I find at least two commentaries, but no more than three. Um, and generally of different levels, like some are like very technical and some are, are almost Bible study-ish, like you would lead a Sunday school, because like those I will miss, I will teach the detailed thing, and then miss that like most people read this, apply it to their lives in some very much more shallow way, and I'll just bypass it. And so um, I only put them on my shelf, and then I don't look anything else up. I don't do internet searches. I don't do logos. Um, it's, too, it's too much. I just I do, I do a lot of research to make sure I get what feel like the right mix of commentaries, and then I got to drop it. I can't, I can't, I got to stay out of the weeds. Hmm. Ben disagrees with you, Ed Stetzer. Stetzer trying to sell me logos. <laughs> I think I still have it. Like, I even still have it, and it already has like 5,000 books in it. That's too many. I also can't read on the computer. Yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah. Actually, there's a couple of books on Genesis I want to I wanna borrow. Do you, I'll, I'll, we'll talk to you later. Okay, <laughs> I might have them on the logos. <laughs> you ready? We got to do a couple live from the past. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. no, let's do it. Here live, here live, here live from the past. I need a hype man. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's time for dear live from the past. <laughs> with dear live from the past, Justin Proper. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. My my husband and I have been together almost twenty years. When we first started dating, I would have an occasional drink. Yeah. He said he chewed tobacco, but I never saw him do it. We agreed that I wouldn't drink and he wouldn't chew. I found out later that he continues to do it about twice a year. 
I feel misled. He chews tobacco twice a year. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's, some, that's a heck of a restraint, to be honest. Man. Wow. Okay, continue on. He doesn't want me to drink because of some incidents with his family when he was young. <laughs> okay. I pointed out to him that this is controlling, but he insists it's not. There are times I would like to have a drink at family celebrations, and I can't, and it's awkward. Should I really be held to something I agreed to when I was a young 20-something? <clears throat> Under control. I mean, there's a couple levels of weirdness going on here. One, this man chews tobacco twice a year. He's great at chewing tobacco. <laughs> right. I mean, most guys I know that chew tobacco, they can't stop chewing tobacco. They're constantly they're always carrying an empty bottle with them, or they drink their soda real fast because they want to chew tobacco, and they want somewhere to spit it. So they drink soda in under 10 seconds or dump it straight out, and then, they, then they're chewing tobacco. And this dude could pick up what is the most uh, addictive and nasty legal habit out there. He could pick it up and put it down twice a year all on his own. I find this man extremely impressive. Yeah. Or, really or she's up. naive. Yeah. Oh, you think he's lying? Like, I, hey, I, I just don't know. Do twice a year. I, I, I was, I was on. Her. Wait. I, I want to say this wrong. Anyway, th- there was a corner that turned when, when he's holding her to a, a promise and not accepting his own. His hypocrisy uh, is yeah. out of line. Yeah, I was on his side until it, that turn came, and I thought, now I'm more on her side. It's like, yeah, have a drink. That's a, it's a weird deal. It's a weird uh, compromise to make. Right when you say, "If you don't do this, I won't do this." Yeah. Um, if you gal, if you shouldn't drink because you shouldn't drink because you get out of hand or something, um, then you probably shouldn't drink, and you should. It doesn't matter what he's doing. Um, if he's had a bad experience with people drinking or getting drunk in his past, and you love him and you want to try to be generous to him, then lay down your drinking if you want to. I think you should. Yeah. yeah, you're right, though. That puts, uh, maritally, that puts you in a really bad position. Because, like, the only way, um, you, you've you've amped up the disappointment. So now it's not just a, hey, I struggle with, I'm trying to stop drinking because I, I just want to get away from it. Or I really shouldn't chew tobacco. And some, and your spouse can encourage you in that. Now you've put them as the heavy. And a personal disappointment for getting it wrong. Yeah, in the bargain, and now like that's I, you just don't want to set your marriage life up with that type of um, with that type of relationship. I don't think that's good. And so I would. So ag- what? what uh, so let's. I, I think they're both acting uh, weirdly. Uh, and 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 you you should revisit this conversation that you've had. Yeah. Um, but like, let's say that your let's say that your spouse does have a nasty habit. Let's say they're a smoker. Yeah. And you don't like smokers. Yep. And they don't want to quit smoking. Now what? You try to strike a bargain with them. You stop smoking, and I will... I mean, do it positively. I'll make you a peanut butter sandwich every day. Every day that you don't smoke, you get peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. You're my lovely bride, and you love peanut butter sandwiches. You lay off the sticks, and I'll make it quick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's other ways to incent than peanut butter sandwiches. I'm just saying this is an option. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I I just... One, I think you're better off being someone who is... Uh, supporting them in the right decision than you are the heavy on them making the wrong ones. Because, like, when their humanity shows up, you're the person they should be able to come to. And now you're putting in a position where, now, like, not only do they not want to fail, but if they're not going to come into someone who's going to support them in getting better, now they're going to start hiding things from you. Like, twice a year, chew man. And so, That's I think... That's straight up impressive. Yeah. it's I, I, I'm with Dan, actually. I think it's not true. Uh, which is weird, though, because if I were to make the case... Uh, he says, "Oh, it's, it's only a couple times a year." He still went back on his promise, right? 
And so, like, he is being hypocritical. I, I didn't get the drinking part, though. Did he say it was an incidence with his family? Like, she got drunk in front of his family? Sounds he doesn't like want that. me to drink because of some incidents with his family when he was young. Well, it sounds like she didn't have nothing to do with it. Oh, okay. I kind of got oh. the impression that she had overdrank sometime and, and embarrassed him in front of yeah. his family, and so he asked her to stop. But really, there's, he just has drinkers in the family. He doesn't like alcohol, so she, he doesn't want her to drink. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay. That's a little bit different. I mean, the thing is, is like you knew that was true 20 years ago. You knew he had to deal with drinking. You knew he didn't, he, we didn't want to be around it. We didn't cover with him. And you kind of, and you married him. Right. And so like, not saying that he doesn't, you know, that, that he can't have matured some or be able to take some of this stuff in. But like, um, I mean, it depends on what kind of traumatizing, whatever thing happens. Some people just have an aversion to stuff like that because it, it brought on so much nasty and, and, you know, you, you, that's what marriage is. You give and take and you give up a little and say, look, I, I, it seems ridiculous and I shouldn't have to do this. It's like being married to an alcoholic. Uh, you can't drink, right? Like, you're not the alcoholic, but you need to be able to help them uh, with the thing they're struggling with, which means you can't have alcohol in the house. And you're like, that's not fair. Well, you're, you're laying it down, right? That's what love is. You're laying down what you thought to be important and what what, what you wanted to do for the benefit, love, and support of somebody else. And so, uh, like, on the whole... Uh, you've been married to this guy for 20 years, and you knew this was a problem. It's re- it's kind of unfair to be upset about it right now. Uh, the the dude, if he once again, if he's doing chewing tobacco twice a year, I think that's fantastic. He's the master of the world. Uh, but if he's lying about it, I think that's terrible. He's the bastard of the world. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. There there ain't no excuse for lying ever uh, within your marriage. Uh, not a good one. Not a small one. Not nothing. There's no, there's no, unless you have a surprise party or something. He needs to give it up because at at its core, it's deceitful. He's hiding things from his wife. Yeah, he, or he needs to live out loud with it. He needs to just be like texting. Hey, picture can't chew. Yeah. Here's my t-shirt. I chew tobacco twice a year. That's right. I mean, every time he buys chew, he needs to ding his wife. I picked up two just so you know. And so it turns out it's three times a week. Guys chewing like a fiend. Although, once again, I mean, if he's pulling it off so she only finds out twice a year, he's master of disguise. He's like, go, go, get it. <laughs> I don't know what he does with all this chew. Every, every other guy I know that, that, that chews tobacco, I mean, you can smell them from six miles away, and every, the car's full of it. They got, they got a giant cheek puffing up all the time, and there's six cans coming out of their car door every time they get out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say either. So I would say I would just, uh, as opposed to looking to who individually is wrong here, I think uh, my recommendation from a marriage perspective is you need to blow this whole situation up and start over. Um, yeah. and, and say, here's, here's the, what's best for both of us in these situations. How can I be an encouragement to you and getting you to the right thing? Yeah. As opposed to being the antagonist on the other side and like, oh, uh, I don't get the freebie, so he doesn't get the freebie. What if he says, this conversation is stressing me out. You mind if I chew? Uh, not, uh, not if you don't mind if I drink. Love it. Yeah, they should have an amnesty day. <laughs> Friday is, is chew and alcohol day. Only when we talk about chewing and drinking. <laughs> you know, chew and drink. Okay. Or she could take it up, too, and said, well, if you're going to do it, I'll do it with you. We'll see how long he sustains oh. himself. If it is true that he only chews twice, like, what's the, what's, what's he, what's the occasion to chew twice a year? Mm. Like, I is it know. boys' it's, day? Yeah, it's probably every time the Cubs win. Yeah. I never. Here's the thing: is like, you're welcome. Chewing tobacco seems like an everyday vice yeah. to me. Where like people will be like, uh, get real worked up, stressful wise, and you'll catch them smoking outside the hospital because one of their family members is in there, or a real big trauma happened, or whatever. Like there's like uh, cigarettes could be like an event driven thing and then gone, or like they're at the bar drinking with somebody, they buy a pack of smokes or something, yeah. whatever. Like it seems like cigarettes are way more event driven, but like chewing tobacco seems like either you do it or you don't do it. It just seems weird to be like, well, it's. July, gonna buy me a can. <laughs> you know, it just. It, I is just, you just doing one dip or is it one can? I assume it's a can. 
I mean, if the price of cans of chew anymore, you gotta you gotta do the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. That's just weird. I never yeah. thought of chewing tobacco as a as a as a event type mm. thing, opposed to you either do it or don't. <laughs> okay, secular says. Wait, hold on, Dan. Do you ever have any experience with tobacco? You no. tried to smoke or chew or anything? No, ever, uh-huh. never. Nathaniel. Uh, I did the vape once. How did it go? I mean, it tasted like uh, pineapples or something like that. And oh, I you did, did like a fruity vape. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think uh, when a friend of mine had uh, some kids, like, at, uh, or when I had kids, we bought uh, like three dollar cigars. Yeah, and they were the worst. And so we were like puffed on them twice and then said, this is the worst. This, yeah. This and threw worst. them away. Yeah. yeah. I Why that. would people do this? I never yeah. touch stuff myself. Yeah. yeah. What, have you tried chew, Mike? I may or may not have a chew. Right do you have now. chew right now? <laughs> <laughs> do, wait, do you do it every day? Is uh, it an everyday item? No. Uh-uh. You like twice, twice a year? A year. <laughs> no, more than twice a year. It's, it's if they. It's if I think I'm going to have to be in long meetings or something. Then I then I'll just throw. Oh, it. you don't have time to go out and smoke, so you put one in the pouch. Yeah, yeah. You got to change your ways. Yeah, no, I got some real problems. Yeah, <laughs> I I've never done chew. I was afraid I didn't wouldn't know how to do it right, and it would taste bad. They make the pouches anymore, where you don't have to try to get the old. Like, cause you used to have to pick out like a dip of it. And it was all snarly and a bunch of strands or whatever. Yeah. And then it would get all up in your teeth. But now they put it in like this easy-to-use pouch. and then you Do you still got to do the thing with your hand? No, that's totally for show. Unnecessary. <laughs> oh. yeah. just, like, just like whacking the cigarettes? No, that, that does do something. Oh. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I was saving that for later. <laughs> I did, I did too soon. Uh, that felt good. Go ahead, Mike. What's right. the secular advice? Secular says, it may be time to revisit that deal you made with your husband. If he reneged, you are free to do as you wish. Yeah. See, you put yourself in the wrong position here, Meridly. Yeah. If these incidents involved his family, they have nothing to do with yours. And you should not be prevented from enjoying an alcoholic beverage at your family celebrations when you like. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I'm a little sensitive to it. And I don't mean, like, uh, like physically sensitive. I mean, like, um, uh, I don't like people that have been drinking. Like, or, and it's not even because they're acting rude or anything. Like, it's just they're different. Because not them. Yeah, like it feels like I'm talking to a different person. Like some people are, are more friendly when they've been drinking. Some people are like angry. And it, I don't. It doesn't matter to me which way it went. It just felt like whoever I'm interacting with isn't the person that I normally interact with. And so I'm like, I particular sense I get real irritable around people who have been drinking. Now this got better as the, the older I've gotten. Um, I think I just had a aversion to it. Like growing up, like it just being around people that have probably drunk too had too much. Um, in different situations, and so like I was just wary the whole thing. I think as I as I've grown up, it's not as bad. Casual drinking doesn't. I don't have that same reaction. But like generally speaking, I I, I recognize where they're coming from, and and I guess like yeah. I mean, if it was just a hey, do you have the right to drink? Well, you always did. Uh, the question is, is are you willing to give it up in service of this person? And can you continue to have, like, this is such a weird conversation, though, because you're going to talk to, um, yeah, how often are you can bring it up to your spouse and say, like, I really want to drink. For someone who doesn't drink at all, but I really want to. Mm-hmm. And this, like, now that feel, feels weird, too. So, unfortunately, you're a bit of a rock in a hard place. Well, I, mean, I think it really depends on, like, are we talking like you just want to have uh, an alcoholic beverage? Because that's legit not really a big deal. Yeah. Right. Now, if you're talking about getting tuned up and, and, and all starry-eyed or whatever, that is a different conversation, right? right. But, like, for, for, for I, I assume the incident included someone who imbibed too much. 
That's how incidents generally right. happen. But like, there's a, a large amount of regular people that can have like one beer or a two beers, and like they're just still regular, right? They just talking regular, the same person. Right. They just drank a beer or whatever, you know. Right. And so like, if that's what she wants to do. I, I mean, I don't see what problem. The guy, pr- guy should probably lighten it up. Like, just because your uncle had a you know a few shots of woe doodles, it's a combination of whiskey and doodles. In case you guys aren't around. <laughs> uh, anyway, like that's not a good it's enough reason. It's not alcoholic. This is good. He's gonna. He's, you're not supposed to mix uh, beer and hard liquor. So he went with the. That's his compromise. Uh, you just got advised. <laughs> <laughs> hey, best type man in the business. Yeah. Here we go. Last one. Dear life from the path. Several years ago, no, oh, no more hype. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a roll. Okay. Several years ago, my teenage nephew quotes Jim gave my younger son his collection of trading cards. Oh, good. He'd outgrown the game, and my son was just starting to get interested. Before Jim gave them away, my brother suggested that some of the cards might be valuable, and that Jim should check before giving them away. Instead, Jim decided to just hand them all over. Jim don't care about no monetary value. He's just handing them over to somebody else. Turns out that part of the collection is quite valuable. And we could sell them for a significant sum. I'm inclined to do that and put the proceeds toward my son's college fund, which would really help us out. The question is, should I split it and send half to my nephew? Usually a gift is the recipients to do with as they like. But Jim was just a kid with a kind heart when he made this gift. And he was thinking more about playing the game than about money. He's out of school now with no debt and is established in a job. What do you think? Is this hard to follow? No. I, I, th- I think just, just leave it alone. I mean, he gave it to you. I mean, it'd be generous to, to share, but you don't have to. You don't have to feel obligated if you want to. And I feel like you kind of got some meddling parents here that are like, let's sell your cards to go in your college fund. I don't want to do that. That sounds <laughs> terrible. Yeah. I mean, a college fund, I mean, let's be honest, it's almost laughable. Like, yeah. what are you going to save a kid over over whatever 18 years you got him in your house? What'd you get him? 10 grand? It's going to last like a half a month. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's right. going out the door right now. That college fund didn't do him no good. Now you want to sell, what are these cards worth? I mean, I can't imagine what it sounds like. They're uh, they're they got like Pokemon cards or something. Like even the highest value Pokemon cards, what are they worth? Like five grand at best. Nathaniel, you do Pokemon. I don't. I don't do any of that. Nathaniel's leading expert on Pokemon. Hey man, I, I went to visit Nathaniel the other day, and he was still dealing pogs. <laughs> he had a bunch of pogs at his place. I don't even know what a pog is. <laughs> Yokogawa. Okay, so anyway, uh, I, I I think these are these these are some. I think the parents are weird here. That's what I think. I think trying to sell your kids uh, role playing game cards. Uh, for college fund money, sounds super lame, and you, don't you should think stay. Like with sports it. cards, like a, I got an MJ rookie. Or when he MJ said uh, he he was more interested in the in the game, that made you think that it's not. Uh, yeah, right. Not like the nephew yeah. gave them to their younger son. Like, hey, you're just learning to play Magic the Gathering. Here's my set of Magic the Gathering cards. Get this, get you started. This will be fun. Turns out they're like a rare first edition. So now the the kid's a little bit older, and the mom's got all starry eyed and whatever. Like, hey, we'll sell it for big money and put it in your college fund. That's lame. I yeah. keep it. Lame, Mom. Yeah, that is kind of lame. I mean, I, I might send him a nice thank you card, and uh, I'd ask him if he wanted him back. Hey, man, turns out these are big money, and the kid kind of grew out the Magic Gathering cards. Do you want him back? I, I, we could totally give him back to you. Or we're we going to sell him for college, and then the maybe goes, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Boy, I'd be super mad at my mom if she tried to sell my Magic the Gathering cards for college money. I, they didn't say that, anything about Magic the Gathering. That's definitely what it is. No. There's a, well, I worked at this Walgreens, and there was this kid that would come in, and he would buy the Magic the Gathering cards, and then he would come back, and he would return them, like unopened. Huh. And I found out what he was doing, because I asked him. Uh, he was taking them home, and he, w- he had like a, a food scale or a jewelry scale or something like that, and he would weigh the packs, 
and if they had one of the ones that was worth money, like they or like uh, they had extra graphics on it, it would weigh more than a normal pack. <laughs> so he would keep those ones. Genius. Because they, they had some worth to them. And that then he would genius. come and return the ones that were, were not worth anything. That kid is our future. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, he's what's going to get America out of the hole they're in. <laughs> well, I'm sure he he looked it up and uh, on the internet or whatever. And, uh, you know, he just it happened to be in a small rural town that nobody gave a dang about Magic the Gathering. Right. And so he, uh, so he would hit up the Walmart and the Walgreens and... Uh, and, and I'm sure made some sort of profit off of it. Huh, that is pretty smart. I don't know whether I find that underhanded or not. No. No? It's legit. It's within the boundaries. If you're going to make yeah. the special cards weigh a little bit more, you got to know this type of thing's going to happen. He's I'm not opening the packages or anything? Doesn't it take all the fun out of it, though? Like, it's supposed to be like, oh, I got a special card. And yeah. this guy's he's gaming the system. He's after the greenbacks, man. He's not in there for joy. But <laughs> 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 when, when I was in junior high, I used to be a comic book guy. So I, I, I you know... Well, get you know, Fantastic Four. I have like a, had a like a maybe the first or second edition of Ghost Rider, a uh, bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, a little little box, um, a little bigger than a shoe box sized, just full, full of them. I had others from the past, but I had saved for some reason this box uh, for years, 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 and years, and years. And uh, as an adult, I'm looking at my garage one day. And I'm thinking it's just full of junk. My it's just all this junk. Like I mean, it's just just stuff. And I had a buddy who was a, uh, a comic book collector, and he happened to be with me. I said, here, man, do you want this box? And I, like, like, this is going to clean out my garage or something. You know, I thought, this is going to be great. It's gonna really going to load this. And, and so I gave him this box of, of uh, comic books. And it was probably a few years later, I thought, what did I do? Uh-huh. I mean, there probably had, there had to be some valuable comics in there. Yeah. yeah. And um, so if he, like, made big dollars on it, I don't even want to know. I don't want him to send me a card. I don't want him to say, hey, thanks. I just want you to know I funded my son's college. I'd be like... Oh. That's that's I gave it to him. That, that's my that's on me. Yeah, you know. And if he, uh, hey, be great. I hope better than throwing them away. I, if, if they were valuable, I don't want to throw them away. Maybe he got some money out of it. Uh, I'll always pretend like I could have been a millionaire or something, but uh, or a five dollar error. So you but, think just sell the cards and put them in the fund and be done with it? Just or, or do whatever. I mean, I don't care what you put in the fund, whatever. But uh, I mean, buy a car. I mean, whatever. To them until you get to college, they're gonna be worth more then, right? Yeah, maybe. There'll be more I don't know, that's what I thought about the Dogecoin. Time has and passed. And here I am. I got nothing. With the yeah, Beanie but Do- Babies. Dogecoin is fake. <laughs> Not like Magic the Gathering. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have a physical thing that you can hold on to, though. Not like Ghost Rider, Mike. <laughs> that's right. It's real. Yeah. That's some no, money. Nathaniel says it's notional. You can't hold it. All right. All right. What, what was the... Oh, yeah. Did we do the secular advice? No, secular advice is, Jim doesn't need the money from the sale of those cards. You don't know that. But it could make a big difference to your son. Since you asked for my opinion, I would suggest you at least offer a portion of the money to old Jim. Did you call him old Jim? No, I threw that in yeah, there for spice. Yeah. Yeah. For a little sriracha. All right, you've been listening to Life from the Path. Hey, we, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having us back. I act like you invited us here to the studio, and we, we're glad to be here. Thanks for letting us uh, spend our time in here. We do appreciate it. If you got any feedback for us on the show, give us a call or a text on the Life from the Path. Bob Eisler, complete line, 515-517-0085. That's 515-517-0085. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we, look here, I'll tell you this. Uh, no one's texted in months. I'm lonely in here. I feel like you're not listening to the program. And so I want to know what Old Testament scene you would want to look at and stay out of the garden eating your perv and then tell me... (laughs) (laughs) Tell me uh, whether you have any other feedback on the show. That's what I want to know. In the meantime, be faithful in the means. God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Live from the Path.
Thank <laughs> you.